Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. What I want to begin before talking about these books is that I'm, I'm going to say some things, and I'm trying to take the scriptures very seriously here. There are going to be some of you who will disagree what I'll say about particular things, and that is okay, and feel free to bring that up at the end. Again, we're wrestling with these texts together. So, and in some of these books are some of Paul's more controversial sayings. And I really am trying to take it very seriously. So, let's begin. I'm going to begin with the first controversial thing, and that is that we have no idea if these books were actually written by Paul. They say they're written by Paul, but a majority of scholars tend to think that it's probably a disciple of Paul or someone writing in the name of Paul who wrote these books. I'll be completely honest. I am not terribly concerned about that one way or the other. In the ancient world, it was very common to write in the name of someone else. Some of the Plato's dialogues, we're not sure Plato wrote everything attributed to Plato, and yet it's in that Platonic school. So with that aside, aside, let's just jump right into it. So first, 1 Timothy. This is a letter from Paul, the apostle, to Timothy, the evangelist, the one who was with him throughout most of his ministry. So, and Paul is essentially counseling Timothy in regard to his ministry at Ephesus. So a little background about Timothy. Again, Paul's a mentor to Timothy. Paul not only brought Timothy into the faith, but he was Timothy's main mentor in Christian leadership. They church planted together. They did missionary journeys together. And it's very clear that Timothy received his missionary authority from Paul, who was greater known, who had started before Timothy. Now, Timothy's official position was an evangelist, uh, and he worked all over, though the end of his ministry was primarily at Ephesus. Now, Paul um, and Timothy came to Paul's aid when he fell into prison. And as we'll see with the next text, he's calling, Paul is calling Timothy to come visit him in prison. Now, Timothy was half Jewish, and Timothy was not circumcised. Remember that word we talked about the other day that somebody wanted a definition of, and I was like, go look it up? (laughs) Well, Timothy was one of these converts of Paul's who came into the church. One of the reasons Paul wrestled with this issue of, like, what do we do with Gentiles? Do they have to become Jewish in order to be Christian, or... Because of what Christ has done at the cross, is there no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female? So, essentially, 
Paul talks to Timothy, and Timothy is one of those guys who's like, I don't want to put a stumbling block in anyone's way. I'm going to receive circumcision so that the Jewish Christians are not offended. Now, later on, we discovered, as we talked about at that council in Acts, no, Gentiles do not have to take on these signs of the Jewish law. But Timothy decided to do it anyway because as a good evangelist, he wanted to put nothing in the way of this gospel message. So according to church tradition, uh, he was loyal to all of Paul's wishes and worked in in Ephesus until he suffered a martyr's death. So what is this book directed to Timothy? What is it all about? Well, it's about the organization of the church. Church structure is a big part of this book. It's about the responsibilities of the elders, the overseers. This is where we get language like bishop, where we get language like presbyter or priest, where we get language like deacon. And part of the reason people think that maybe Paul did not write this is there wasn't this structure in his earliest writings. Paul talks about apostles. Paul doesn't talk about these other people. Now, again, I I don't really take a view on that. There could have been a development. I'm unconcerned. I just want to kind of give you what people are saying when they question Pauline authorship. So, the real meat of this text is that the church at Ephesus, remember Paul wrote a letter, Ephesians, that's to the church at Ephesus? Well, after this, it is disrupted. And who's disrupted it? These false teachers. We don't know very much about these false teachers, unlike the other books. But we do know is that they were saying that as a good Christian, you had to abstain from marriage and abstain from eating certain kinds of food. And that's led some to believe that maybe these were Jewish Christians coming into Ephesus and saying, you've got to do the Jewish law. But Jews were not against marriage. So other people say, no, it was the Gnostics. We don't know. We don't know for sure. We just know that Paul is saying these false teachers are putting a stumbling block in the way of people believing. These false doctrines seem to have been taking a hold there. So these teachers who came in seem to be pretty convincing. He's telling Timothy, stand firm. This is an addition to the gospel. And what I'm trying to give you is the gospel alone. Now, Just like last week, I'm going to run through this book pretty quickly because we're going over four books today. I'm going to try to get you to remember something from each of these books. But this is the longest one. That's why I'm spending the most time with it. One of the other things in this book that's really emphasized is that the church must take care of widows. In the ancient world, in particular, widows were essentially in trouble. If If the husband died in this kind of patriarchal culture, it was really hard for a woman whose husband died to be appealing as to bring on as a spouse. It was really hard to get jobs. Except, so we have all this information about widows who essentially become beggars and completely impoverished. And Paul says the church must take care of them. And it appears that, uh, again, we have this apocalyptic fervor that we were talking about. It appears that some of these husbands are leaving their wives. And so, well, it's an excuse to get away Uh, to follow this Jesus movement, and Paul makes clear, no, you have to take care of your family, you're not to just leave. And again, this is particularly important in this patriarchal culture, 
Because, again, if, if the husband in this world is to leave, the family is in trouble. Now, I kind of hinted at this. Paul also talks about church officers. Uh, episcopos, or overseer, bishop. He talks about how if you're to be a bishop, you've got to be above reproach. The husband of one wife. No polygamy. Uh, you must be self-controlled, respectable, not a lover of money, not a recent convert. Essentially, be a person of noble calling. Uh, same thing for the deacons. We're not trying to put an unnecessarily stumbling block in the way of people coming to this Jesus movement. Be above reproach. And Paul also says, though he took no wages, and thanks be to God that he said this for my sake, that presbyters should be paid for their duties. <laughs> we also have in this book, and again, part of the reason why people are like, we're not sure if this is Pauline, but again, it's in our canon, that we seem to have this notion of this succession, uh, this succession of orders. And obviously in the Roman Catholic Church, they've really taken this to talk about the apostolic succession, tracing the line of bishops all the way back to Peter. Episcopalians are mixed on that question. I tend not to care. Jim tends, I think, probably to care even less than I do about that. But you will meet Anglo-Catholics who say, no, we can trace it back. And they point to this book authorizing that succession of ministry. In this book also, really interesting, especially now that Kanye West wants to change his name to, what was it? It's like Christian Billionaire West or something. Um, And I love Kanye, so I'm sorry. But 1 Timothy is the, the book where it says money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul, A disciple of Paul, whoever wrote this, is very skeptical of money being good for people. Uh, In fact, this is where someone like David Bentley Hart, who's a theologian, can write. He wrote a New York Times op-ed and essentially said pretty radically that luxury should be eschewed by all Christians. Um, You can take that for what that's worth, but... I don't think we really can push this aside. He's being very clear that money can really be a problem. And that's a, for me. So, in a nutshell, it seems to be, and interestingly enough, and this is kind of the last thing I want to say about 1 Timothy, is that we hear a lot about how what you do will shape what you believe. And obviously there's truth to that. But Paul's emphasis in this book is that what you believe will shape how you live. I think these are two sides of the same coin. Um, But Paul really is emphasizing that belief is important for how we live. And that's why he comes so hard against the false teachers. He thinks that in their teaching, they will get people to live poorly. Uh, So that's 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter of Paul to Timothy. And this is Paul... People call this his farewell discourse. He knows he's going to die, knows he's probably going to be killed, and he calls for Timothy to come visit him at the end. And in this letter, Paul essentially says nothing new. But it's, it's an encouragement to Timothy and to church leaders and to all of us. Stand firm in the faith. Hold fast 
This is where he famously says, we have not been given a spirit of fear. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. And I don't know about you, but because of things in the news about this political movement at times, I have been a little bit ashamed to talk about the Lord because it's been associated with certain things. But Paul says here, never mind all that. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid, for he is with us. So he's essentially calling for steadfastness in the faith. Again, there are false teachers. Again, in this book, we even know even less about these. But essentially, they're used as a foil. He says, they do all these kinds of crazy things. But you, that but you is found in this book like 25 times. And it's a call, essentially, it's, it's a rhetorical device. This is all happening, but you will stand firm. You will preach the true faith. The only other thing I want to say in this is that Paul makes clear here, he talks about his own suffering, his own imprisonment. And he says that endurance is the main quality of a preacher of the gospel. That you, Jim Monroe, you, Jacob Smith, you, Ben DeHart, will experience this suffering. And it is essentially a sign that you're doing something right. Um, so he, he uses this kind of uh, wartime language to talk to preachers. He says, be a good soldier. Be pure. Be noble. Take care of the suffering. Your suffering, take care of those who are as well. And at the very end, in this kind of beautiful language, Paul talks about um, awaiting the crown of righteousness. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in doing that, it's a teaching device. You too, stand firm. Despite everything, Christ is right there. I want to say more, but we're going to move on to Titus. Because I will come back to 1 Timothy in a minute as well. So Titus, so the book, Paul's letter to Titus. Titus is a different companion uh, of Paul's, and we know far less about Titus than we know about Timothy. Titus visited Crete, the island of Crete, and Crete, it seems to be in the ancient world, was, was infamous for its sins. Um, and Paul had been a missionary there, things were going wild, and he tells Titus, essentially, to restore these house churches, to essentially replace the corrupt leaders with godly leaders, preach sound doctrine, and exemplify in your life this sound doctrine. Um, Paul emphasizes to the Cretans here that you live in a sinful culture. Everyone, they think of the Cretans, they think of liars, they think of this and that. But you, who are in a sinful society, you be transformed. You have been given this new humanity, much like what Andrew was saying today. Live into it. Become what you already are. I think that's all I want to say about Titus. Well, just the only thing else I'll add is that Paul also talks about church structure in Titus. And again, there's kind of a shift away from kind of apostles' language to this other kind of structure, the structure that comes after that apostolic age. 
Philemon. Paul is this slave whose name is Osimus. I think I never say it right, but follow me. Osimus leaves his slave owner. He follows, finds Paul, becomes a Christian. Paul makes clear to him, again, there is no, no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. He tells him, we are equal in Christ. And he's writing to Philemon, the slave owner, and telling him, accept this own Simus back. Accept him as an equal. Any punishment that Simus deserves, count it to me. And Paul, this is where Paul gets a little passive-aggressive and says, not that you owe me anything, even though I've given you everything, but you should let Simus off the hook. Paul here seems to leave a trace for the trajectory seems to be that slavery will cease. That said, Paul does not come out against the institution. So we have to keep that in mind. Paul is not telling the people of his day no more slavery. And many people have found this offensive, and I completely understand that. I think that Paul couldn't really imagine a world without it, kind of what we were talking about last week with some other things. So Paul does not come out and say no more. But in this book and in that passage, I keep saying there is no more Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor You can see the trajectory. Uh, and if we're paying attention, the early movements for abolition were started by Christians. And these are Christians who are reading this and they're saying, Paul lived in a culture where you could not form society. Paul lived with others as a beachhead in foreign land. But now that we have influence, we can undermine the system. So, it may not be what you want it to be, uh, but even people who aren't Christians point to Paul as someone who is instrumental in getting popular opinion down the road against the institution of slavery. So, that's all I want to say on Philemon. There's one other thing I want to talk about before we end, and that's going back to 1 Timothy. There's this passage in 1 Timothy uh, it's one of those famous passages that is often used against women in ministry. Uh, and it essentially says that, Paul says, I forbid that women should teach. And then he uses that famous uh, analogy of Eve was deceived first and therefore just like that. Uh, the man essentially should be the teacher. Well, I think that a lot has been done with a little in this passage. There are plenty of people who hold this passage up and say, here's proof that women should not be ministers, should not be priests. But I think that if you read that passage closely, you'll come to see that the women Paul is writing against are those who supported the false teachers that we talked about earlier. These are women who 
supported them financially, supported them in leadership, and also propagated this message. So it's my reading, and not only my reading, but many people's reading, that the people in this occasional letter that Paul is talking to are those who are supporting these notions that he's trying to refute. And so they must be silenced. So I understand if you have a different view on that than me, but I'd say uh, go read it in its context, read the whole book. And I think that if we do that with an open mind, we can see that what I'm saying is actually right. So that's all I really want to do today in these books. And uh, looking forward to see you next week for the book of Hebrews. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal Sanctuary Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.